Well, uh, if you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn with me to John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, throw your hand up and grab one. We're going to read a story all together, John chapter 4. If you're new to the Bible, that's totally fine. Feel free to use the table of contents in the beginning. The book of John is about three-quarters of the way through. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. We'll be in the fourth chapter in that. Well, I'll read... I'm going to pray, and we'll dive in. I believe God's got something for us special this morning, so read with me. John chapter 4, starting in verse 6, says this. So Jesus, weary as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everybody who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on the mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship in Father and in spirit, or worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And just as the disciples, just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said to him, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Pray with me. Father, uh, Lord, as we come to your word, God, I pray that you speak through it. God, I pray that your word comes alive to somebody new here in this room this morning. Lord, I pray that we can come to you and find living water. God, it's what our hearts ultimately long for, so Lord, would you fill us with that? Lord, I pray that you use this time, speak through me for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this past year, uh, Randy Malik won the most coveted prize in all of movies, the Academy Award for Best Actor. 
and he won it, and as he did, he, in, he became uh, part of the great uh, group of people that have won that award, people like Daniel Day-Lewis and Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, some amazing, amazing actors, and he won it with his performance of Freddie Mercury in the movie Bohemian Rhapsody. Now, I don't know if you might not have seen the movie, he really was iconic in it, uh, but I'm sure you're familiar with the song, Bohemian Rhapsody. It's one of Queen's most famous songs, one of the greatest songs ever written. Like, we've all been in the car, and it's come on the radio, and we've all jammed out to it. Like, I think if I started singing, I bet you could probably join with me if I went, I'm just a poor boy, I need as I'm easy come. Little high. Little high. Or we've been in the car where it's that big momentous part where it's like, Mamma Mia, Mamma Mia. The hair of Coke has a devil for a sad fog. You all know that, right? You see why I'm not on the worship team. Also, but you didn't, ex- yeah. Also, I bet you didn't expect to sing Bohemian Rhapsody when you came to church. Welcome to Faithbridge. We're glad you're here. But in the song, it, it builds to one of just this big epic guitar solo where we all play our, uh, our air guitar too. But it drops at the very end. And I don't remember if you remember this part of the song, but it drops, all the music fades away, and Freddie Mercury sings these lines. Nothing really matters. Anyone can see. Nothing really matters. Nothing really matters to me. And it's a sad window into what he really feels. That even after he performs this amazing, iconic song, he stops and goes, okay, but like nothing really matters. And I remember listening to Kid Cudi back in high school. He's a rapper and he was rapping about everything that he had. He had the money, the fame, the girls, he had it all. And he says in the song, he says, I have both money and girls. I have both. Nothing truly satisfies. I am happy, that's just the saddest lie. And I think we, we can resonate with these songs, we like these songs because there's something in us that if we're honest, we may be busy during the day but we may lay awake at night and go, okay, yeah, like I can pretend the things matter, I can pretend to sing, but then we get to a moment and go, okay, but like what really matters? Because I'm trying to find it and I don't see it. And, And we just resonate with these songs because I think we've bought into a lie. And I think the lie that we've bought into is this, that this world can satisfy us. I think that's the lie that we've bought into is that this world can satisfy us. And so many people live with this as their philosophy of life and it's this kind of conveyor belt mentality where you work and you work and you work for for something that's on the conveyor belt slowly coming towards you and you sacrifice and you work hard for the next job or the next promotion or the next raise or the next vacation, the next house, the girl, the the boat, the dream, the the car, the, the whatever it is and we just look for it and then what happens? Every time you get it, it falls in your lap and you go, is this it? Like, I thought, it would, I thought it would mean more. I thought it, would, it would, would matter more. And then what do we do is we look to the next thing. And we go, I'll get the next one, the next one, and we just live with that. And I've seen it. People live their entire life with this as their philosophy. And so if you're in the room today, and maybe that's you, and you go, yeah, I'm there. As I've been looking for it, I've been working for it, and I got it, and it didn't work, I'm sure you would resonate with quotes like Jack Higgins, who's, who is as successful as a writer as you could be. And he was asked, what would you tell your younger self? 
And he said, if I would tell him anything, I'd say, when you get to the top, there's nothing there. John Piper regularly pleads with stadiums filled with college students at a conference called Passion. And a few years back, he was pleading with them, and he said, hey, I want to tell you about a tragedy. I want to tell you about a tragedy that I read in Newsweek just the other day. And he, he read out to, to thousands of college students, and he said this. He said, Bob and Tenny, Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta, Georgia, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. And he looked out at this stadium full of college students and said, that's a tragedy. And then he said, people are spending billions of dollars, billions of dollars to try to get you to buy into that lie that that's what you're supposed to do with your life. That's the whole meaning of it all, is just to, to work hard and get what you think you want. And he says, I have 40 minutes to plea with you. Don't buy into it. Don't buy into the lie. And then he says this. He says, I don't want you to get to the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account for what you did. And you say, here, Lord, look at my boat. And I've got a good swing and look at all my shells, and I don't want that for you, and I don't want that for me, and I don't want that for us. I want us to be able to live for something beyond. I want us to know that there is something that matters in this world, that there is something that satisfies our soul, and it's not something we find because it's not a something, it's a someone, and his name is Jesus. And I want us to grab hold of that, Graduating seniors, I don't want you to go on to what's next and buy into that of like, you just work hard, uh, you get a good job, you work hard, you retire early, and you collect shells. I want you to live for something beyond, live for something that matters. And I want that to be a mark of our church. I want us to have a, a deep satisfaction in our soul. And I know some of you are, are two or three times my age, and you're kind of silently going like, yeah, like, listen to him. Like, don't wait 20 years to figure out that Jesus is the answer. Like, stay in it, go for it. Jesus is the one that can save. And so that's my first point that I have for us this morning, is we've bought into a lie, and we need to address that. And the lie is that this world can satisfy us. C.S. Lewis put it like this. If we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And so we read this passage earlier, and it's a story about uh, a woman that was chasing after everything that she thought would satisfy her, and it's an interaction, an encounter with Jesus. And we get to see what Jesus is, what he says to this woman and what he says to us as well. And so we pick up in the story that we just read, and we didn't read it, but we'll, I'll fill you in on where Jesus has been. He has been uh, walking with his disciples all over the Sea of Galilee, preaching and teaching. His disciples have now gone into the city to buy food, and he's uh, left at a well at about noon. It's hot, it's, uh, it's the Middle East, he's hot, and he sits down at the well, and then a woman comes up. Now this was, that might not sound strange to you right now, but that would have been very strange in that day. It was customary in that time for uh, the women to draw water for their, uh, for their family and their community in the morning, which makes sense. If it's hot, you want to do it before 
You do it. Like, you ever tried to work out at 1 p.m. here in Houston? It's not fun. You do it in the morning. And so that's what, that's what it was normal. And then it was also normal that they would do it together. It was a group of women that would go get water. It was like their Pilates class. That's what they were doing. And so she's different because she's going at noon alone. And then Jesus speaks to her. And she says, he says, give me some water. Now that doesn't sound weird to us, but that also would have been weird. Because in that time, uh, women weren't regarded in the same value as men. And so for Jesus, a man, to speak to a woman, what he did in that moment was he elevated this woman to the same value, dignity, and worth as a man. That's what he did is he spoke that into this woman. She said, he said, you're not something lower than me. You are equal to me. And so this was a, uh, a kind of a very countercultural thing for him to do was to speak to this woman here. And so he says to it, he says to her, give me a drink. And I think he does that, yeah, because probably he's thirsty. It's noon in the Middle East. I would assume you'd get thirsty. But then also he does it to start a conversation. And, and she says, um, she's a little taken aback by the request. And she goes, how is it that you would ask for me? I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew. And then uh, John fills us in on that. And he goes, because Samaritans and Jews didn't have any dealings in that day. He said, this is a weird thing that was going on. And then Jesus begins to reveal just a little bit about who he is. In verse 10, it says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus in this moment, he doesn't go like flat out and tell her exactly who he is. He doesn't say, I am Jesus, the son of God, the, the savior of the world. Don't you know who you're talking to? He doesn't say that. He just gives her a little bit of a glimpse, and I think he does that for a reason. I think he does that so that she has to take one step of discovery. She has to press in and go, what do you mean by living water? You say that you're offering that. Why are you doing that? And he does the same with us. Oftentimes, Jesus doesn't just flat out fully tell us who he is. Is He wants us to take kind of that, that first step of faith, that first initial act of discovery. And so she does, she kind of goes out in the midst of it and she says in verse 11, okay, how do you get this living water? You don't have a bucket. You don't have anything to draw from the well. Like, how are you gonna get it? Now she wants it. She says she wants the living water, but she says, how do you get it? And I like to imagine, she's like, you, you're offering better water. Like you say, I got some water here. You're offering better water. I like think she's going like, you got Topo Chico? Like, where is it? Like, I want some of that. Give me some of that. And she goes, you don't have a bucket. How are you gonna draw from it? So she's confused by Jesus, but she's interested in Jesus. Does that mark anybody? Anybody in here kind of go like, yeah, I'm a little bit confused by God, a little bit confused by Jesus, but I'm interested in him. Well, no, you're in good company. The woman had that same exact reaction. And then Jesus begins to explain what the living water he's talking about is. In verse 13, Jesus says to her, everybody who drinks from this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I give them They'll never be thirsty again. The water that I give them will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, Jesus says, this water that I'm offering you, this water isn't just normal water. This water won't just satisfy your thirst. This water will satisfy your entire life. That's what I'm offering. He says, this water, this water, yeah, the other stuff, will, you'll be thirsty again, but this water will give you life. This water will give you freedom. 
This water will give you joy and peace and satisfaction and a hope. This water is something different. And the woman's reaction, she says, yeah, okay, if that's what you're offering, sign me up because I want that. If you're offering life, if you're offering hope, if you're offering joy and love, if that's what you're offering, then sign me up because I want that. But then Jesus does something really weird. And I don't know if you remember when we read it, it's just like he takes a full left turn. It's just like they're going down a direction, they're talking about water, and then Jesus says in verse 16, Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come here. It's like way out of left field. Like you're like, we're talking about living water, this is awesome, they're out of well, whoa, what's up with the husband talk, this is weird. And then it gets even more awkward. And says Jesus, she says to Jesus, I don't have one. And Jesus says, I know you don't. You've had five. And the guy you're sleeping with right now, he's not your husband. This is like the weirdest evangelism tactic in the world. <laughs> like if you said I had a friend do this and they like came up and they're like, okay guys, we're gonna go tell people about Jesus. And they're, they're going and they're talking about uh, living water and the person's like, yeah, I want the living water. I want hope, I want life. And then you're like, okay, but also who are you sleeping with? And they'd be like, oh, okay, weird. Uh, let's talk about, let's debrief that, that's good. Uh, hey Jesus, yeah, man, uh, she, she wanted the living water that you were offering, she wants that. She's on the line, why don't you just reel her in? Like, that's, that's awesome. Why bring up her husband's, man? Like, that's weird. Also, can't you see she's alone? Like, she's here in the middle of the day, this is a weird thing all in it. Like, why bring up these feelings? And I'm guessing as, she, as he brought that up, her immediate reaction was she filled with guilt, shame, and re like remorse of what her past sins had been. And I'm guessing some of us in the room today, when we think about Jesus, when somebody brings up the name of Jesus, our reaction is guilt, shame, and remorse. As you go, okay, now we're gonna talk about that. All right, fine, Jesus is disappointed in me. Obviously, she's disappointed in the girl. So why bring it up? Well, I think he brings it up for a reason. I think it's because Jesus knows something that we don't know, and he knows something that we need to know. See, what Jesus is doing in this moment is Jesus is drawing out the lie that she's bought into. He's drawing out the lie that she's bought into the lie that we've bought into. But notice, Jesus draws the lie into the light, not so that she can be condemned, but so that she can be healed. And that's what Jesus does with our sin. He brings it into the light, not so that we can be condemned, but so that we can be healed. See, Jesus knows something that we need to know. He knows that if we want healing, then we need to be free. And to be fully known is to be fully free. And something we need to understand is to be fully known is to be fully free. See, sin is, sin is anti-photosynthetic. That's a big word. Uh, it means it grows best in the dark. And so what Jesus does in this moment is he brings the sin into the light so that she can find healing from it so she can find freedom from it, so that it doesn't control her like it used to. He says, he says, yeah, that used to be you, and I'm putting you in a new direction. I want something more from you. I'm not bringing this up to say, look at you, how dare you, you did that. No, no, I want you to understand who I am and what I'm doing for you. See, Jesus knows that we need to, to get rid of our sin. 
We need to bring it into the light. We need to find freedom from it. And so we need to understand that if we want the living water, if we want satisfaction in this life, if we want significance, if we want love and peace and hope and joy and all of those things, I think all of us would say, yes, I want that. If we want that, then we need to understand our second point, which is that we need to trade what we have for what he's offering. We need to trade what we have, what we've been holding on to, for what Jesus is offering. And what is it that he's offering? Well, I think the, the woman begins to get it. She begins to kind of put the puzzle pieces together. And in verse 25, the woman says to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. I think the woman's starting to go like, okay, I'm, I'm starting to figure out that you're not just a normal guy. Like you're something else. You're something unique. And she begins to put it together and she goes, the Messiah is coming. That's the one I'm hoping for. The Messiah is the one that saves. The Messiah is the one that frees. The Messiah is the one that brings healing and hope. That one comes in. When he comes, he's going to change everything. And you can almost feel it in her voice, like begin to rise of like, yeah, the Messiah, the Christ, like I can't wait for him to come. And then Jesus has his, his uh, mic drop moment when he says, I who speak to you am he. The woman's going, when the Messiah comes, everything will be good. When the Messiah comes, I'm going to have hope. When the Messiah comes, I'm going to have freedom. And then Jesus looks at her and says, I'm he. It's not when he comes because he's here and I'm in front of you. Would you understand? I'm trying to set you free. And then right in that moment when Jesus has this kind of mic drop moment, the disciples come and uh, they kind of have the same reaction that uh, I think most people had when they saw this woman is they looked at this woman and went like, Jesus, what are you doing talking with her? Like, don't you know what she's done? Like, obviously she's messed up. She's coming here alone at noon. Like, this is weird. Like, she's probably too far gone. She's too broken. Jesus, what are you doing talking to her? So the disciples don't say that, but they kind of murmur that within each other. But that's the whole point of Jesus. That's the whole reason he came is because no one is too far gone. No one is, is too far in their sin to not receive the grace of God. That's the hope that Jesus offers. That's what the cross was all about, that there is no one that is too far gone. And all can find freedom, all can find healing, all can receive the living water that he's offering if we would just turn to him. And so the woman gets it, and she gets the living water, and, and, and look what she does in verse 28, it says this. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So she understands the living water. She figures out who this Jesus guy is, and her reaction was to turn away from where she was going, and she changes direction. And that's our third point that we have to decide which way we'll go. That when we meet Jesus and we understand who he is fully, then we'll stand at a crossroads. And she stood there in that moment where she could continue to go back to the well that left her thirsty, or she could turn and she could walk in a different direction. She could chase after something that would actually satisfy her life. And how do we know that she actually turned around? How do you know that she, she ditched what she, was off, what she was chasing? Is it says it in the scripture, it says this, she dropped her jar and went into town. And I think in that moment, she was showing the world, I'm no longer going to what won't satisfy me. I'm going to the person of Jesus because he does. I forget the well, I'm going to a spring. 
And so we need to decide which way to go. But I, th- I see this happen all the time is people meet Jesus, they have an encounter with Jesus, they get to this crossroads, and what happens is rather than dropping their jar and going to Jesus is they go, yes, I'm excited to know Jesus, and then they hold on to their jar. And then they keep their jar and they run into town. And they're like, oh my gosh, you gotta have some of this. And you start pouring out and pouring out, and what happens is they run dry. And I've seen it, they, they, you get excited for three months and you wanna tell your, your workplace about Jesus, you wanna tell your family about Jesus, you wanna tell everybody about him. You wanna live in the holiness, you wanna live in love and joy, and you wanna do all these things, and then you get to three months later and you run dry and you're empty and defeated and you give up. We've been there. And I think the reason we do that is because we haven't dropped our jar. Seniors, as you head off to what's next, this will be the temptation. As you're gonna run off to, to whether that's a job, whether that's college, whether whatever is next, and you're excited about Jesus now, and then you're gonna get to an unfamiliar territory, and it's gonna be hard, and you're gonna be going, I'm excited, I wanna tell the, the campus about Jesus, and you start pouring out and pouring out and pouring out, and then you run dry, and you give up, and you wait three years until you go back to Jesus. How do I know this might be a temptation? It's because I did this. <laughs> I did this exact thing. I got to Oklahoma State and I was excited to, to tell people about Jesus. I came to know the Lord late in high school and I was like, I am pumped. I'm gonna transform the campus of Oklahoma State for the name of Jesus. This is gonna be awesome. And so I got there and we got some friends together and, and we created a ministry. We went through the paperwork and everything. And, uh, and we had this dream of like thousands of people coming to worship and thousands of people getting saved. And we we're like, this is gonna be awesome. And so I got my 30 people and, and I led them from 30 people to two people is not the right direction you want to go. And I remember the night that the last two people came into my dorm room and they said, God, we can't do this anymore. We're tired, we're done. And I was left alone and I broke and I was like, this is, I'm tired and God, I can't do this. I guess you're not big enough. I guess I'm not good enough. I don't know what it is, but I'm done trying this. And I look back on it and I realize what the problem was. There's a problem, and there were good pursuits, but there's a problem in my uh, attempt at them. As I had two big problems. One, I still had sins that I was holding on to. I still had deep sins that I was holding on to, and it wasn't until a friend of mine came to me in this kind of like, where's your husband moment, for him to bring it to the light. And it wasn't until I finally got rid of those sins and said, you know what, I'm done with the pornography, I'm done with all this different stuff that I could actually receive the gift of living water for it to fully spring up in me. But the second problem is I wasn't tapped into a spring. I was pouring out of a jar. And what I was doing is is I I wasn't in the word regularly, I wasn't uh, worshiping regularly, I wasn't praying regularly. Um, The sermons I was given were just plagiarized from somebody else. And I was like, "This this will do, this will do it. And what happened is I ran dry because I wasn't tapped into the source. I don't want that for you. And what happened is I got rid of that and a spring welled up inside of me. And it's amazing. And it's so much better. I promise you that. It's so, so much better. But it looks like this. It looks like this. Um, the problem that we run into is we try to pour out on our own ability. 
And so what we do is we run around and we're excited about Jesus and we got some water, we're filled up and we're like, yeah, let me, let me give you some of that. Get some peace, that's awesome. Get some joy, that's perfect. Uh, get some love and satisfaction. I just want to, yeah, let me tell you about Jesus. Yeah, this is awesome. You're getting filled up. And then uh, what happens is we run dry. And we're like, oh, and now I'm empty. And what do we normally do in those moments? Is what we do is we look for other people to kind of pour into us. We're like, okay, I just need, yeah, give me, come on, I need some affirmation, I need some love, I need some, come on, you just gotta tell me a little bit. And then we're constantly this pour in, pour out mentality, but every time we run dry. And you kind of live with this like, kind of spiritual life on E. Is you got enough to keep going a little bit, but really you're not cruising, you're not continually pursuing Jesus. Anybody kind of feel that way? Their spiritual life is just kind of running on E right now? I think the reason is because when we do it that way, we don't tap into a source. See, Jesus doesn't promise us a deeper well. Do you notice what he promises us in the scriptures here? When it talks about the living water, it doesn't say that it's going to be a deeper well. It says, I'm going to make in you a spring that wells up to eternal life. See, wells run dry, but springs overflow. And so when we tap into Jesus himself, what happens is, is we don't get into this moment where we're running low on, on everything, is we get to the point where we're with him and he's given us life, and we get to the point where we can continually pour out because we're pouring out from overflow. And man, I, I, you need something? Sweet, I can help you. Sweet, man, life is coming my way, anxiety is crippling me, that's fine, I can have peace because I'm overflowing from the one that provides it. And we live with this constant state of overflow. You didn't know you're in the splash zone. There we go. But so many of us try to live by just pouring out and not really tapped into the deep reservoir, which is Christ Jesus. And see, this is why the spiritual disciplines are so important. This is why reading your Bible is so important. Like, you're not reading your Bible to, to gain Bible facts. Like, that's not the point of reading your Bible. The point of reading your Bible is to meet with God. It's to spend time with him, to, to tap into his overflowing power. That's the reason we pray. That's the way, reason we come together for communal worship is because we want to be uh, not just good at following the rules and not just good at kind of doing our thing, but it's we want to meet with God. And when we meet with God, he overflows in us to be able to live a life that we can never live on our own. And so the woman gets it, and she gets pumped, she's excited, and she runs into town and starts telling people, hey, could this be the Christ? Could this be the one that we've waited for? Could this be the one that's going to save us from our sins? Could this be the person? And then what happens? If you look one verse down, you'll find nothing. <laughs> It actually cuts back to Jesus and the disciples. It's kind of like a cut scene. It's like the woman's running in. She's telling people about Jesus. Could this be the Christ? And then you don't get an answer of did the people respond? Did they just go like, forget you, I'm done? Because it just goes back to the disciples chatting. And if you just look one verse down, you may grow a little bit discouraged of like, cool, I have the living water inside of me, but uh, I don't see any results because I'm looking and there ain't there. They're going back to talk about Jesus. But like, what, did the, what happened with the woman? What was the town's reaction? See, if you want to find the town's reaction, you have to look not one verse down, but 10 verses down. In verse 39, it tells us what happens. It says this in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him 
because of the woman's testimony. Some of you are grown discouraged in your walk with the Lord because you're looking one verse when you need to wait for 10. Sometimes we have to continually press into Jesus and he doesn't automatically change it. I think a lot of us have been there, we're like, man, I'm following Jesus for a month and like my family's not changed yet. What is going on? Jesus, where are you? This is taking forever. We're like, man, I've been working at this place for a year and like my, nothing's really happening. The, the culture isn't changing at all. And it's because we're looking for one verse results when we need to wait 10 verses. Our God is faithful, he's promised us that. And we may just have to wait a little bit longer to see him fulfill. But we see that if you look 10 verses down, that a town changed because of this woman's testimony. A town changed because this woman filled with the living water, a spring that overflowed into eternal life, that the town became a spring that overflowed into eternal life. A town was changed. People's lives changed because of her testimony. And so we can have hope and we can continue as we press into the Lord, as we press into the person of Jesus and know that, hey, he may not answer the prayer immediately, but wait 10 verses and see him be faithful. So your workplace may not change on Monday, but if you wait 10 verses, you may see a mighty change. Your family may not change immediately, but if you wait 10 verses down, you may see. It may take reminding your child week in and week out and month in and month out, and it may take not 10 verses, but 10 years for them to finally get it and go, okay, yes, Jesus is the answer. And we continue to stay faithful and go, okay, we may look for one verse we may grow discouraged, but have hope that he's going to answer in 10 verses. And so what do we do with this? I have two little action steps for us that we can leave that can make this practical as we head out, as we leave to go to lunch. Here's what I want us for, for us. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to walk into freedom today. Walk into freedom today. Some of you know that you have hidden sins that you have kind of hidden in your life. And if there is one ounce of you that is not known, then you are not truly free. And so my hope for you is that today you would confess that. Today, not tomorrow, you won't do it tomorrow. You won't do it a week from now. I'm talking today on your ride home, you tell, you talk to God and you tell somebody that you trust whether that's a spouse or a parent or a friend, as you confess to them and you walk into freedom and I promise you, tonight you'll go to bed and you'll actually feel free. Will it be hard? Yeah. Sin is messy. Sin is hard. But will it be worth it? A hundred percent yes. So walk into that freedom today. Have one of those moments like Jesus called out the woman and it wasn't to condemn her, it was to heal her. That's what Jesus wants you. He wants you to walk into that freedom. And the second thing is I want you to change your direction and drop your jar. So many of us are trying to live this Christian life on our own and we keep failing because we're trying to do it on our own. Jesus never asked us to do it on our own. Would you drop your jar? Stop trying to go to the well to, to, to pour out into other people, but Sit with the person of Jesus and allow him to well in you a spring of eternal life. What does that look like practically? It's changing your prayers from, Lord, give me strength to, Lord, be my strength. 
Do you see the difference there? It's the change from, Lord, give me joy and give me peace and give me this to, Lord, be my peace. God, I need you to be my hope. I need you to be my, I can't do it. I am insufficient, but Lord, you are enough. So drop your jar, change your direction, and walk into that new life. So what do I want for you graduating seniors as you head off to what's next? What do I want for us, church? What do I want for your family, your friend group, your community? What do I want? I want you to find a life that satisfies. And a life that satisfies is, is found in the person of Jesus. He promises us a, a, a spring that wells up, living water that wells up to eternal life. Let me pray for us. Father, Lord, I know that there's a variety of people in this room. Some are excited to worship you. Some are beaten down. And God, I pray that your living water be, be sufficient for both. Lord, I pray that even in this moment, God, if there's somebody in the room that says, I don't have the living water, I, I, don't, I don't have that and I want it that they would be bold enough to say that, yeah, Lord, I, I want the living water. I don't want to try to do this on my own. Yeah, this world doesn't satisfy. This world doesn't work. We've tried it and we've failed. It doesn't work. Jesus, you are the answer. That they would, even in this moment, have the boldness to just say that. And you can do that, even in this moment, to just say under your breath to God, say, God, I need you. That's all it takes. There's no special thing you got to do, it's just a simple ask, God, I need you. And in a moment, he can save you. In a moment, he can fill you with a spring that wells up to eternal life. And Lord, for us that have been trying to do it on our own, God, I pray that you would give us the boldness that this week we could start saying, Lord, be my strength. That we could wake up in the morning and as we spend time with you, we say, Lord, God, I need you to be a spring in me. God, I got these meetings that I don't want to go to. Lord, I need you to overflow in my life. God, my, my whatever it is, my friend is just, ugh, my, my family is just crazy. My whatever, God, I need you to be a spring in my life. That you would just say that starting tomorrow. God, would you do that? Lord, we're grateful that you've called us out of freedom and into life with you. Lord, I pray that we as a church would leave here more filled with, with you, overflowing for a community that desperately needs it. And God, I pray that you change this city because of people like this. Lord, you're good. And that's in Jesus' name. Amen.